Hey everyone, this is the third edition to Coaches and Coffee. We have everyone on today. I guess Miguel's not on, but the majority of the working triathlete coaches are on. And I guess we'll go around and introduce ourselves. My name is Derek. I'm one of the coaches with Working Triathlete. I live in Cleveland, Tennessee. I'm sorry, Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, wow. I, <laughs> Ohio is probably... You missed the, the, us. Exciting yeah, there is a Cleveland, Tennessee, just north of Chattanooga. You yeah. know, I guess it want to be a terrible area. Honestly, it's not that bad of a, yeah. of a town. It has a nice little downtown area. It has area. the... Uh, with the Volkswagen, the Lee, Volkswagen uh, yeah. headquarters there. Right. There's something there. Lee University is there, Which I think. produced a really fast runner. He went pro this year. Yeah. Oh, really? Cool. Well, you got Derek... Over there, we we had in up in Cleveland, Ohio. Conrad Geringer here, Nashville, Tennessee. Alex Leandri, Nashville, Tennessee, as well. And Derek Owens, I live in Oakland, California. So you have all of the working triathlete coaches on this podcast. So uh, all the triathlon coaches. So it's a good good podcast. And today, uh, we definitely wanted to, to discuss the sort of the big news in triathlon this past weekend, the the sub seven slash sub eight project where two athletes, uh, male and female respectively, broke seven hours and eight hours in an Ironman, but in in a very the, the rules were obviously relaxed substantially. Um, drafting was allowed and. And there, there were some other rules that, that were adjusted. I think I, I read that wetsuits, uh, they, they were allowed to have neoprene thicker than five millimeters. So, you know, there were some tweaks, but it was, I guess it was a sort of a fun thing that occurred. Um, did any of you, you guys watch it live? I did not watch it live, but I watched like some Instagram reel highlights and, um, I don't know, a handful of YouTube videos going into it, but no, I didn't watch it live. I didn't watch it either. Um, I watched a couple clips where I know Talbot Cox posted a video of of one of the guys handing a bottle of water to Christian Blumenfeld, and the guy biffed it. And then there was a a clip where uh, some of the time trialists were in in a pace line and one wheel clipped the other wheel, and he almost went down then. So I saw a couple clips, watched a, a, a little recap video, but did not watch it live. No, I don't think Alex and I watched it live because we were racing. We had the Music City Triathlon, our big local mm. local triathlon in Nashville, and uh, but we were checking. You know, we, we got updates, but um, I think that the well, the most surprising thing, in my opinion, were the bike splits. Uh, but you know, we can talk about everything kind of in order, maybe swim, bike, run, but just a high level overview. Christian Blumenfeld and, and Joe Skipper were, were the men who did it. They targeted sub seven. Both of them achieved that. Uh, Blumenfeld went 644. Skipper went, I think, 647. Uh, and then Kat Matthews and uh, Nicholas Spierig were the, the, the women, and both of them went sub eight. Um, Kat Matthews ended up winning. Uh, she went, I didn't write down her aggregate time. I think it was seven, what was it, 730s? 30 something, 733. 33. So, I mean, they were flying. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, the bike splits were absurd. Uh, so, Joe Skipper had the fastest bike split out of everybody three hours, 16 minutes, which is 34 miles per hour. Uh, that's basically the same speed as the hour record, uh, which they do in the velodrome. So, 
you know, it definitely goes to show you the effect drafting can have on speed. I mean, it's, it's absurd. And we can get into the nitty-gritty later. Um, on the women's side, Cat Matthews rode a 350. Uh, and then Spirig rode a 353. So they, they flew. And the women's race was pretty darn close. Uh, you know, Cat Matthews swam 54-43. Spirig swam 54-50. Matthews <laughs> rode 350. Spirig rode 353. And then Matthews ran 246. Spirig ran 245. Um, so they were, they were tight. Um, the men, the, the splits were a little bit different, uh, for, for the, for the swim bloom, he swam 48, 21 skipper swam 53, 24 bloom rode three twenty four. skipper rode three sixteen, and then bloom ran two thirty. skipper ran two thirty six. Um, so I guess I was, I wasn't necessarily surprised, but I, I guess I was a little bit a point of interest was that the swims actually weren't that much faster than they, they typically would be. And I guess conditions played a role. I heard that the, there was a little bit of a current and there was some chop. Yeah. I think the other thing to consider too, is when you're in a, in a race too, they already have the opportunity to draft. So they're already kind of in yeah. that groove. I guess the only difference would be they may be able to push the effort a little bit more because they know they can draft on the bike, but I'm sure that was a pretty calculated effort all around. And, and I guess really, were they able to manage pace at all? I know they had boats next to them, um, probably moving at a certain nautical knot that would be able to help determine pacing. Uh, oh, I don't know. I mean, I know that Joe Skipper was drafting off of Alistair. So originally this uh, sub seven, sub eight project, uh, the, the original participants Christian Blumenfeld, I think he was always one. And then Alistair Brownlee, but he was injured, so then he couldn't do it. But he uh, he led Joe Skipper on the swim, but then Skipper, I think, you know, Skipper, obviously a great athlete, but not the fastest swimmer in, in triathlon. So, you know, he, he, but anyway, Alistair was there. And then on the women's side, it was supposed to be Lucy Charles Barclay and Spearig. And then, obviously, Lucy Charles, she has a hip fracture in her, in her, or a, a stress fracture in her hip. So, But she's she's coming back down. I think that she was one of the people that was pacing on the bike. Okay. Interesting. So, similarly, like, Alistair was in the water and, and Lucy was on the bike. Nice. So, they got the opportunity to contribute, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And But so, they brought on Kat Matthews, you know, the woman who was the first to break eight hours it, you know, in this race, she, she won, she beat Spierig and she was a, a late entry. So they gave her the opportunity not too long ago, I guess. Um, so kind of cool that she, she was able to do it. Um, I mean, she was a few months ago, but they, they called Joe Skipper up like last Friday, like, <laughs> like eight days before the race. So, I mean, that's like just broad spectrum, like, this obviously is coming um, like, or it's like a branch off from the sub two project that happened a couple of different times. Like eventually Elliot Kipchoge like broke the two hour marathon. But when I was just thinking about this, like from my perspective, it's a totally different thing because the, the amount of drafting benefit that you're getting or like the amount of like 
benefit that you're getting from having pacers on the run is so much more marginal. And we're talking about like such a small amount of time to try and cut out of the marathon that has already, they've already been trying to do for such a long period of time. And the amount of actual benefit that you get from drafting when you're traveling at 50, 55 kilometers an hour, and then the amount you're able to save your legs when you're drafting at that um, like going that fast, but still probably, I mean, I'd be interested in seeing the power data and like what the, what the actual guys like Christian and Joe Skipper were doing at the back there to be able to like then run a two thirty. you know, it's still, yeah. it's still a, a very, like, it's an incredible feat. I think it's great. I don't necessarily think that it does the same thing for that, like seven hour barrier and eight hour barrier that potentially the the sub two project really did yeah i I, th- I think you're you're right because the the sub two is while yeah they, they did have the pacers and they picked an optimal day because i know they had like a two-week time window when they're watching weather and, and things like that for for conditions and nutrition um it doesn't look like they went as deep into detail with some of those metrics here but um obviously they had it executed to where you know you're using resources that you wouldn't generally get in long course triathlon. I have some yeah. ideas though. Yeah, we're, we're, let's hear them. <laughs> so we know that, you know, the top cyclists, they're probably putting out, well, I heard, you know, 420 watts potentially for the men, you know, at, at least. And, and you know, if they were taking pools, I mean, that it's reasonable to expect maybe that somebody could put out sort of mid 400s and go 34 miles an hour on a racetrack. So, you know, we have to remember that you know, they, they swam in, in a lake, well, Lake Softenberg. Uh, the, the race occurred in Germany. Great, great conditions, nice and cool. Uh, and then most of the bike was on the, the Euro Speedway, uh, Lausitz. So they, it was pancake flat. And, and we know that in uh, the like Challenge Miami, Challenge Daytona, I mean, those guys, they, they averaged like 30 miles an hour, right around 30 miles an hour. And they were maybe putting out, you know, like three. 20 ish, 320 ish Watts. Um, I recall, I think that's what Gustav Eden put out. I'm trying to recall, but, uh, it, so when you draft, oftentimes it's thrown out, you know, 20 to 40% Watts savings. It, the percentage savings increases the faster you're going. So if we assume that the guys in the front were putting out 420 Watts, you know, multiply that by 0.6, so subtract 40%, so, so assume 40% savings, then Bloom, he could have put out 250 watts. And he only put out 250 watts for, you know, like three hours, 24 minutes, to Derek's mm-hmm. point. Like, not only were they putting out fewer watts, but they also just were putting out fewer watts for a shorter amount of time. So I wouldn't be surprised if Bloom was putting out, you know, like 250-ish. Um, who knows, maybe even, even less, I don't know, but I could, that's feasible. Um, he looked really easy. He, it looks like he was cruising. He, when he clipped the, the tire of one of the pacers and, you know, he had speed wobbles and almost fell, uh, you know, he looked over at the camera and sort of laughed and was like, ah, I almost crashed. So he wasn't working too, too hard. Um, and then if we look at the, you know, the women, maybe the, a similar analysis, but you assume they were putting out 350 watts at the front, you know, the, the, the pacers subtract, you know, 30%. You, you can subtract, I, I would imagine, you know, a bit over 
to probably in between 200 and 250. Um, but I think the men benefited more, relatively speaking, probably they were able to put out substantially fewer watts than they normally would. Um, but everybody benefited, obviously. But I don't know if that's right, but I think that I would wager that those those stats are pretty close. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty pretty accurate. The one thing I think I was most surprised with was the run splits. I was anticipating they might be a little bit faster. But then again, I bet they were also going as easy as possible to break the barrier with in, in trying to win uh, without the risk of blowing up too on the marathon. I know. You could have paced Bloom for the whole thing. For sure. Derek. Yeah, I can't believe they didn't. You're in 226. Well, didn't why, why didn't they invite me? <laughs> uh, Anybody who's listening, Derek Stone wants to be a part yeah. of this. Next Only week. the run, though. I, I can't keep up on the bike. I guess if I'm drafting, well, you maybe. Could, you could draft. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You could definitely put out 250 watts for three hours, 24 minutes. I know. That's that's like a little bit of my thinking. I mean, obviously, I don't want to um, like be too much of a like not Debbie Dunn or whatever you want to call it. But um, I mean, the fact that they called up Joe Skipper eight days out, obviously, they were putting a lot of work and energy and effort into all of this that didn't just include the person who was doing the race or like whose time actually was going to count. But I just wonder like to what extent the top 15 pros right now could have been, or like anyone who could run that split, like in an open marathon or a little faster than that in an open marathon, like to what extent could they have broken the seven hour barrier considering that they ended up breaking it by 15 and 13 minutes respectively, you know? I'm yeah. speaking from the men's I, side. I think it would have yeah. been interesting if they had more pro athletes attempt this and maybe they had a couple of pacers on the bike and the pros work together during the bike split too. Or they maybe they rotated in some type of pace line. Maybe they had like r- rather than having two different teams of of athletes where they had just one like maybe a team of five and then the pros used that to their advantage. You know, and if they had 15 people, would it have gone even faster? You know, would it pushed each other on the on the run as well? Here's a question for you: Could um, do you think that the seven hour, eight hour barrier could be broken if we just turned Ironman into a draft legal race? <laughs> well, it, it's funny. You, <laughs> no, you I don't think so. <laughs> no, a lot of the courses are tough. The bike. Yeah. yeah, I just don't think yeah, they'd yeah, be able yeah. to. Nobody would be doing any pulls at 420, yeah, 450 yeah. watts. I think they'd maybe, I don't think anybody would be taking any pools, honestly. I think everybody would just ride like 300 watts, um, probably. I, nobody would inc- go above that when they were taking a pool, I don't think. So I'm I'm not sure the, the bike, certainly you're not saving an hour on the bike yeah. with draft legal and Ironman. Maybe yeah. the barrier wouldn't be broken, but it would change the race dynamics because you would have people yeah. trying to break away to get away from the Uber runners. So that would play in the tactic. I mean, it'd be the Olympic format, just a much longer. <laughs> <laughs> what an absurd thing. Uh, I hope it never happens. <laughs> yeah, but you brought up a good point. I think, so it was really awesome that they did this. I'm glad they did it. It was fun. It's, it's fun to follow and analyze. Yeah. But I think that you're 100% right in that. When we think about Elliot. Kipchoge when he went under two hours you know I think that's up there with one of the best just pure running performances ever I think he had to dig deep to do that 
And I don't necessarily think that, you know, to your point, I think a lot of athletes could have done this, uh, you know, with the draft. A lot of work went into it. I don't want to take away from yeah. the science that went into this. And each team, I know they sort of developed their own strategy. I think each one was allowed like 10 uh, pacers on the bike to draft off of. And I think there were some different strategies on, on each team. So they they didn't just show up and, and do this. And these efforts were, I think, impressive. And I think all of the athletes dug deep. But you know, if we're comparing this to Elliot Kipchoge's sub two, it just there's a draft benefit in the sub two, but nowhere near the draft benefit, you know, that we saw here. Um, but yeah, and to your point, you know, 230 and 236, I mean, 230 is pretty fast. I, that's what, 545-ish pace um, yeah. to go 230. So, yeah, that's still moving after working out for, you know, four hours, 15 minutes or whatever it was um, at a pretty high level. And But uh, the, I would have, th- I wonder what Bloom could run you know, in an open marathon. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious to see that. You know, he Could he get down to 220 flat? Could he, he probably has the engine to qualify for, you know, the Olympic trials or, or certainly the Olympic trials. Yeah, but I bet he can go 215. Throw down the gauntlet. Throw down the gauntlet, Derek. <laughs> Challenge him. I'm going to start, you know, heckling him on Instagram. Yeah, I'm sure he'd appreciate Do it. that. Do it. But, uh, um, another, I mean, the other thing too, is they're trying to draw attention to the sport, which I think is mm-hmm. a great thing too. I, I feel like I heard so much more about this in the lead up to it than I actually heard about it. Like the few days leading into it, which, yeah, I like woke up in the morning and it was done. I was like, Oh wow. Uh, I, know. <laughs> I, for, I forgot that that was today. Um, but yeah, so I, like, I, I love like that. The Phoenix Foundation, I guess, like funded it and all that. Like, I wish it had been a little bit more um, just like built up in that, like the the crescendo into the event had been a little bit larger. Right. Yeah. Can we, could we possibly recap kind of the whole premise of it for anybody listening that doesn't know and like how many people um, paced on the bike and how many people paced on the run and what did that kind of look like? Well, I know that. 10, they had 10 pacers on the bike. Uh, and typically, you know, they, they would alternate. And I know, I don't know the different strategies. I re- think I read somewhere that maybe uh, Spearig, I think they were going to have like four women pace her in the front. And then those four would take a break somewhere. And then, because it was on a track. So it was like, a, yeah. I don't know, maybe like, I don't know how long the track is. Um, but I don't know how the pacing on the run run went do you know alex oh no i did not that was also a question for myself okay (laughs) i think i think the pacing the pacing on the run at least like uh, like i didn't see everyone's strategy but like christian blumenfeld was just running with a couple of people there were a couple Mm -hmm. of people that were pacing him um but it wasn't it wasn't the same as like i don't know like it didn't seem like they were um breaking the wind uh for him or like anything like that it was mostly just like making sure that he was still he was staying on target I don't know if that was the strategy for everyone else as well. But. Yeah, when Kat Matthews was running out of T2, there was just one woman in front of her I saw. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't know the exactly the logistics, how many they alternated you know, in and out. I don't know who, who the pacers were. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's a good question. 
point being, you know, they, they I think the run was the most well, the run and the swim were pretty unaided, so to speak. Yeah. Um, not not a whole not that many minutes sort of reduced if you compare it to a normal Ironman. Well, that and the swim, I mean, the swim itself, unless they used, you know, a boat somewhere in it, you're already drafting in a full Ironman or a half Ironman or anything in the swim. Yep. And arguably for the run as well, you're just, you know, not getting like the actual paces. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was a cool event this past weekend. And we also had a bunch of athletes, working triathletes competing all around the world. Um, In Hawaii, 70.3 Hawaii was this past weekend. And that is a fun race if you haven't if people don't know about it it's uh the bike is is basically the top part of the the kona course the swim is in a different area and the run is is on my golf course but um i coached an athlete who qualified for the the world champs shout out to to brad pierce and then another athlete who uh pr'd massively <laughs> i think it took like an hour off of the 70.3 time um, so shout out to, to Connor and then in locally at music city, we had a huge number of athletes show up to the, the music city try. I think we had 30 athletes there. We won the, the club competition and we almost swept the podium in the sprint races. I know Alex, you got, well, you got second overall in the, in the women's sprint. Um, but you thought you were, you had it in the bag because you were way far. So it's a rolling start obviously. And and you were well ahead of, of all of the other women, I heard. Um, and then, but you ended up getting second by six seconds because somebody started pretty far back. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> and who knows? If, if you started at the same time and she was on your shoulder, who knows? But it uh, doesn't matter. Two weeks post Chattanooga after, this was just a fun race for, for a lot of people, but uh, a lot of athletes did did the double. So in in the Nashville area, yeah. we had Mach 10, which is a a long running triathlon. It's one of the longest running triathlons in the world, down in Tullahoma, Tennessee, about 90 minutes south of Nashville. That was on Saturday, and then we had the big uh, Music City Triathlon, which takes place basically downtown Nashville, which is always well attended. Um, on Sunday, and some of our athletes did the double. So they did Mach 10 on Saturday, and then. Uh, on Sunday, they they did the uh, the try at Music City, and and John Huber, Derek, you coach him. He he won Mach ten, and he won the sprint, right? Yeah, he uh, he came ready to crush it. And uh, you know, the biggest thing I told him after Mach ten, I was like, make sure you do everything you can to recover after the race. You know, get a, get a quality meal in, get your you know spin the legs out that that day after the race. And get ready to hit it again hard the next day, and uh, yeah, super super proud of what he accomplished. And then a lot of athletes, you know, really, even if they didn't double up that weekend, many athletes did Chattanooga two weeks prior, so they're they're walking into the race with fatigue, and uh, a lot of great performances. Obviously, Conrad, you took the the win in the Olympic and um, smoked the field there, which is awesome. He made it look easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wish I could have been there this year. Um, it's always, that's probably one of my favorite races, you know, music, it, obviously, it, you know, when, when I lived there, it was my hometown race, but, uh, you know, super cool experience to watch you guys from afar crush that event. I know. I wish you were there. We, we would have gone faster. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> it, it's, I would have run much harder. <laughs> 
<laughs> I would have had to run my yeah, brains was... out to uh, to catch you after the bike. I know you biked phenomenally. Uh, I had a pretty good bike. Yeah. It was it was funny because uh, that morning I felt horrendous. Sort of stomach was was not feeling great. I felt weak. Sort of had a lot of athletes got sick after Chattanooga, honestly. And uh, even on the run warm up, you know, I was warming up at like nine minute pace, nine thirty pace, and I was like, oh, I do not feel good right now. Uh, we got on the boat. So the way this race works, you hop on the General Jackson, which is a river boat where they have shows. It's a really cool boat, and then they take you upstream in the Cumberland River, and then you hop off of the boat, swim to the transition area, hop on the bike, and it's it's a little bit longer than a normal Olympic distance race. The, the bike is, and then the 10K is the normal 10K distance. But uh, yeah, I hopped in the water and still felt like crap, just, just like, but you don't, it's always important to remember, don't judge a race by the warm-up, and don't judge a race by, you know, how you feel at the beginning. Just let the body ease into it. Let the nervous system get going, and then you might be surprised. But then hopped on the bike, started putting out power, and you know, target power felt really, really easy. And it was one of those things like, wow, that's this is not expected. Thought it was gonna hurt a little bit, and then you know, took in a lot of caffeine on the bike, which I like to do in Olympic distance races. And you know, the second lap felt felt good. But Jordan Green was uh, he's a he's a great athlete. He's on Everyman Jack. He was. He's an excellent swimmer, so I was sort of trying to catch him on the bike, and then uh, you know was able to pass him about or catch him about halfway through, and then uh, we ran similarly. But uh, yeah, it, it was a blast. Um, but we had uh, working triathlete. We had a water stop too. So Team Mag- Magic they they let the local clubs man water stops, and whatever club had the best water stop, as voted on by the racers the day of the race, they uh, basically were going to get a $200 donation from from Team Magic, the race directing company. So uh, our theme was tropical slash beach. And oh my gosh, our volunteers they got did, after it. It was <laughs> awesome. They did not disappoint. They did not disappoint. Yeah. So that run is, at least in my book, never fun. It's always hot. You have like a hidden hill. It's a terrible um, run. And so to see our... It's a terrible run. I never look forward to it. Um, But to see our team kind of a little past a mile into the run, I think. uh, And so Alex Conrad's wife was in a shark suit and we had, you know, a couple floaties. We had a lifeguard. Um, Everybody was just like really into it. Um, We had people throwing water at us and it was, it was just perfect. They brought the right amount of energy, the right amount of um, hydration. (laughs) And it was very much needed. So it also helped that, you know, it was like working try after working try after working try. So they were amped. We were amped. And we obviously won the best water stop. We did. So now we have $200 to go somewhere in Nashville for to celebrate. Open tab until we hit 200 bucks. <laughs> and uh, so that'll be fun. That's one of some of the perks. And then we'll give something to all the working triathlete volunteers who volunteered, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was a blast. It's a, it's a great race, but you know, one thing is just to kind of loop back to this concept of racing on back-to-back days and the importance of recovery and maybe what some of our athletes did and looking at the results of racing on back-to-back days. Uh, so it's 
actually pretty relevant because next year, one of our target races is multi-sport nationals in Irving, Texas. And those, uh, that event is a multi-sport festival over four days with multiple races on each day. And many of our athletes are going to race on multiple days. So it's good to sort of analyze how athletes uh, sort of respond to racing and then racing later that day and then the next day. Um, the results were actually kind of surprising. Uh, I know two athletes who I coach, they did much better on the second day than the first day, which is counterintuitive because Mach 10, the triathlon on the first day is actually longer. You know, it's arguably harder. Uh, and I know one athlete, Brian, he was having a little bit of trouble putting out power on the bike on the, on the first day, but on the second day he put out 40 more Watts <laughs> for the bike. Uh, and it's just, he's felt better. Like his nervous system, it was activating. And, uh, you know, one factor was we, we had to recover from 70.3 Chattanooga. So it's not like there was a traditional build and taper going into this. So, you know, a lot of athletes were a bit flat as expected. And then, uh, you know, another athlete, sort of the same story, ran. He was able to run out of his mind on the second day. Um, and it was, so it was interesting seeing how athletes, and then Kat, Kat had a, had a great race on the second day and the first day, really. But pretty much everybody was able to match or exceed their performance on the second day compared to the first day, without exception, really. Um, so you can race on back-to-back days. I think racing on the third day, that's that's the crux that's tough uh and we saw sort of miguel when he did he raced four days in a row in irving the third day was 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 the toughest especially getting uh ramped up for the run and 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 all that but uh uh, i think back-to-back days it's it's doable but you you have to really focus on recovery hydration um that that cool down is, is essential you have to do a long cool down after the race, flush out all that waste in the blood. And then uh, a lot of athletes, they did, you know, 20 minute, easy as you possibly can spin the bike, bike spin Saturday night to uh, just further, you know, just get, get the blood flowing to the muscles um, to try to sort of incite recovery so that they can get going Sunday. Uh, So yeah, kind of an interesting, interesting weekend. Yeah, I think back to when I was in college, and there, you know, when you had prelims in the fifteen hundred, uh, there was one at a conference meet. I was the last person to get into the finals in the fifteen hundred, and I finished third the, the next day. You know, and by, by like literally a second, so it, it was a really tight race. And it just shows you that you know some days you might, it might be nerves. It could just be an off day, and you you never want to discount how you're going to feel going into the race, and you just got to show up and put in the work. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the other part of this is kind of like what I alluded to early on, just you cannot get in your head and think, oh, I don't feel good or I'm going to have a crappy race because then it's just a cycle of negative thinking. You have to implement positive self-talk no matter how you feel uh, because you don't know how you're going to feel in in the middle of the race, and I'm not just saying this because it it sounds good. Like you you never know. Like you can feel terrible on the warm up, and you're gonna you know crush it during the race. You know, I was talking. I know I've talked about this a lot with Anthony, one athlete who uh, um, he he always says that if I'm feeling bad on the warm up, <laughs> I know I'm going to have a good day, a good race. And athletes should should always remember that. Um, 
So that's that positive self-talk and never thinking that however bad I feel right now is how it's only going to get worse from here because that's not the case. Things can change. You could start feeling better. This is also the case in long course racing where there's ups and downs, ebbs and flows. You just have to stick with it and, and just relax. And the body is a weird thing. You know, it can change on a dime. Uh, so, so never give up. Yeah. I, I found the same thing like during warm-ups, if I don't feel well, uh, I generally have a good race. And I think part of that is my body is mentally preparing. It, it just knows it's going to hurt and it's protecting itself for a little, a little bit. And, you know, w- once you race enough, you, you kind of know that. So you, you, the confidence is still there where if you, if you're new at racing or new to triathlon and you, and you, you don't feel well in the warm up, you know, you might not know that you're gonna respond well later on in the day. So, you know, always start the warm up, and, and this goes true for workouts too. Like there's many times I start a workout and I feel like crap and, uh, you know, start the warm up, start that first interval and then it generally just clicks and falls together at that point. I like to say there's always like, I have, and I know my number, it's about, about 10 minutes. And so whenever I'm trying to get like friends who aren't runners into running, cause it's the easiest thing. I'm like, you're going to, it's going to suck at first. And then you're going to hit like some magic number. It might be 12, it might be 25, and it might take a while until you get there. And then you just like forget that you're doing it. And I think the same thing happens with the race, right? Like I always jump in the swim and I'm like, oh boy, here we go. And then halfway through, I'm like, okay, I forgot that I'm swimming. Okay, make sure you run out of the water now. So I think it's funny that we all kind of have that. And my my magic number is about 10 minutes. So I always love starting a workout and you're like, oh, I don't want to do this. And then you're like, oh, never mind. I'm hitting all my my targets here. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, the hardest part is getting started because especially when you're in the throes of training, sort of heavy load, it it's tough to get going. And not only mentally, but also physically at the beginning. Um, until you have to increase your core body temp, you have to dilate the blood vessels. And until that happens and the nervous system activates, uh, you're going to feel off. Um, but if you get started more often than not, you're going to complete the workout. You're going to want to complete the workout because your body just gets in that flow state. And once the, all the systems connect, you know, the circulatory system, the nervous system, all that it's, you're going to want to finish the workout. Now there are certainly going to be days where you're struggling to, to get going. And sometimes you need, you need rest obviously, but, uh, you know, one of the tricks is it's not how many workouts you do in a week. It's how many times you start a workout in a week, because if you can always bail. If you tell yourself that you're going to bail on a workout, but you're just going to get started more often than not, you won't bail. But if you still feel like bailing after 10 to 15 minutes, okay, maybe that's something to look at. See if you need a mental reset or, or a physical reset, etc. But, uh, yeah, I remember Seth talking about that in the habits podcast or the habits webinar that we did recently, where it's like, if you if you really don't want to get your training session in, just tell yourself that like, okay, I just got to do five minutes of it. And then I'll allow myself to quit. And you'll realize that like, as soon as you kind of get started, you're like, Oh, well, now that I'm now that I already put on my bike shoes, and mm-hmm. I sat on my bike and turned on Zwift and started pedaling, I might as well just do the whole hour, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Going Uh, um, Going back to something that you were saying, Derek, about like um, just things that come with experience from racing. And like, I mean, I I think that I've experienced that like 
feeling of, of a warm up not feeling super great. But I remember when I was less experienced racing and I, I talked to a lot of athletes that are less experienced racing, like in that whole week leading up to a race, like what what tapering really hard into like a, an A priority race can feel like, um, like physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, and just like how um, it, it can just like cause all kinds of feelings that you're not familiar with. Um, just to, that gets you telling yourself like, oh, maybe I'm not actually ready for this race. Um, and yeah, so I, I think that, that it's just an important thing to acknowledge is that when when you're in the lead up to a race, whether that's like days out or the day of, you're like, you're never going to like know how you're going to feel until you actually start racing. And as long as you just trust the process um, and, and get yourself like in the water, uh, then like... I think that the the race result is going to come. Yeah, that's that's a good point, and yeah, I think when people have those race race taper feels, you know, the niggles or like the the pains, or even just the they might not feel as fresh. Uh, I think it's just the the mind preparing your body to you know to protect itself for race day. It knows it's gonna it, it's in fight mode, so it's ready it's ready to prepare for it. Um, one thing I'll say too, speaking of, of coffee, coaches and coffee, this morning I, I had a pretty long weekend and, you know, I was down in Nashville for a wedding and then I went to a camp to present some clinics in Ohio. But, uh, you know, this was one of those mornings where I did not feel like going to the pool, but I just got there. I got my coffee, you know, and uh, I got in the pool and I, and I did the workout, but I got out, I got out of the pool and generally when I, when I swim or do any workout, I feel pretty good afterwards. And I was drinking the coffee. I'm like, this tastes like crap. And I realized I didn't even put a pod in the coffee maker. I was just drinking hot water. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> oh, my God. And, and, and I, I was like, no wonder I don't feel good today. I haven't had any caffeine yet. And it's 7 in the morning. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So caffeine can help, too, jumpstart start a workout, mm. you know, as we all know. But, uh, you know, so having those, those uh, routines in the morning can help as well just make sure you put the pot in the, the keurig if you use a keurig yeah i would have turned around immediately gone home <laughs> so i, I didn't i didn't know <laughs> me too yeah i didn't know until after i got out of the pool because i i, I got out of the pool I'm like, I'm like man i still don't feel great today you know what yeah. kind of horrible coffee are you drinking that like water tastes about the same what is this come I, I on Derek. i think it's because i always like reuse similar mugs so i had like a hint of hint of of coffee taste in it you know and uh I, I was just sipping on it. I'm like, this is, and then I, like, it was going through my mind. I'm like, maybe I have COVID and I just lost my sense of taste. Oh, and then no. when I got home, I looked at my coffee <laughs> oh, mug. And I'm like, oh, it's clear. <laughs> the liquid is clear. Uh, Jeez. That's, that's rough. Yep. That's rough. I hope you are fully caffeinated now. I am. Absolutely. Um, well, just like two more um, like races that I wanted to highlight from the weekend um, because they are races that are on my bucket list that I had athletes compete in. One being Escape from Alcatraz, big triathlon that was happening this weekend. Um, so I know that I had an athlete that uh, like did her longest distance race um, at Escape from Alcatraz. It was really rainy and kind of miserable out there. So um, shout out to her. Was there another athlete that came from Tennessee that raced as well? Yeah. Yeah. So we had a couple. Alex Jackson raced, and uh, that looks like a pretty cool event, you know. And yeah, you have a, a long, cold swim. You know, there's like a half mile transition up to yeah. the T1, and then 
the bike's like 18 miles, but it's pretty challenging. Yeah, it's 18 mile, 18 mile bike, kind of, kind of hilly, and then an eight mile run. And part of the run is like on this, they call it the sand ladder, but it's like, um, I don't know, maybe like a quarter mile of really steep stairs um, that are like really sandy. Um, like, yeah, going from the beach, like up to the, um, I don't know, like the ridgeline or whatever. So yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely an iconic race, something that I would really love to do one time. It's another one where they take you out on a boat. Um, yeah, they take the ferry out into, um, like out to Alcatraz. Actually this time it wasn't a, it wasn't an honest Alcatraz swim because the conditions were so bad and it was so foggy. They actually dropped them straight into the current. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's lots to talk about when it comes to, um, like crossing, doing an Alcatraz crossing, but the current is particularly strong there because it's going out the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, the tide is going out the Golden Gate Bridge. And so, yeah, but they dropped him right into the current. So it was a shorter, shorter swim this time, but yeah, um, really cool race. And then, um, Unbound gravel, not a triathlon, but um, I had an athlete do unbound gravel. That looks like, I mean, just a completely different kind of undertaking as well. Shout out another triathlete, um, Heather Jackson raced unbound this weekend too. So, um, but yeah, so um, Ella McDougall raced at unbound and she finished in like 15 and a half hours and said that it got so rainy and muddy at one point that she had to um, like walk and carry her bike that was like covered in mud and heavy and then had to wash it out in a creek. Um, like it was, she, she said that she's pretty sure she could have gone and gone under 14 and a half had it not been for like about an hour of just like getting slowed down because they were just like walking through deep, like peanut butter mud. Um, so yeah. Um, so shout out, shout out athletes that did escape and, and unbound. Yeah. Talk about a race experience that can seriously change with the conditions if it gets rainy and muddy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, endurance gravel racing is just a completely different thing and, and unbound too, like being like as, as long as it is like between support, um, we're talking about like 80, 90 miles between the first aid station and the second aid station, um, so like, yeah, if you're having bike mechanical issues or anything like that, you got to know how to fix your own bike. Not, and we're not just talking about like punctures or flats or anything like that. Like derailleurs ripping off, like you got to carry an extra derailleur cage hanger. Um, yeah, all of that. So yeah, I don't know. Pretty intense, but, um, yeah, it, like incredible feat. Yeah. I don't know if, uh, sounds fun. Yeah. And those extreme, those extreme races are, uh, eventually we'll focus on that, but yeah. the extreme triathlons like Norseman, once I, I think am in my older years, my golden years, those will be definitely sort of fun to focus on rather than yeah. the singular focus of going as fast as possible. It's, it's appealing, <laughs> just having an adventure, turning races into adventures. And I think it's healthy to do that no matter what even if you are For sure. just obsessed if you're in your peak years and obsessed with going as fast as you can, cause you can only do that for a short window of time. Um, although we certainly have athletes who, uh, sort of break, break that role and, and they continue crushing it into their, uh, uh, you know, years above what are typically thought of as, as prime years. Um, 
you know, I know one athlete who did Music City Sprint and Mach 10 this past weekend, you know, Marshall, I mean, he's, he's not old, he's, he's 58, but uh, I mean, he was, he might've been first off of the bike at the sprint try and he still ran, you know, he ran really, really well, gave, uh, I know some, some really good athletes who are younger in their prime around 30 run for their money. So it's always fun. Uh, sort of the, the ribbing that, that he dishes out to the younger guys. And I think they're all inspired by, by what he's doing, but, uh, so it's always fun. Yeah. The amount of, uh, yeah, the amount of trash talk that happened at the swim start yesterday was honestly (laughs) impressive because it was, all of us were down there and, you know, Marshall's talking about how he's going to try and beat everybody. And, Huber's down there like, well, I don't know, guys. I feel great. I just won yesterday. I feel great. So he's confident. John's full of Oreos that, that Marshall sent to him. Yeah. So so for everyone that, that yeah. you know, Marshall was sending John Oreos in the mail. <laughs> I don't know if it was, if it was like, uh, you know, just like to carboload or to, uh, you know, throw him off his game, but pretty funny stuff yeah. there. I don't know. Well, it's good to know that the the, the trash talk um, like carries over in, in like into in person because yeah I'm like a ghost oh, member of that WhatsApp worse. that WhatsApp group it, like it's always it's mostly just Marshall like talking crap to everyone else in the WhatsApp group all the time so I'm glad that he he backs it up in person too. He does. He does. Yeah, it's way worse in person. It's way more. Fun. <laughs> yeah, we all were talking about you know dunking people in the water you know all the good stuff all the obviously normal healthy things before a race like (laughs) exactly yeah it was a good time good time well yeah i think that was a good recap of the weekend i know we didn't cover all of the races that our athletes did because you know there were a lot of them we don't have time to talk about all of them but uh shout out to, to everybody who raced this past weekend and uh you know thanks thanks for hopping on everybody and uh, we'll reconvene for another Coaches and Coffee soon. Yeah, and if you have a moment, make sure you subscribe to our podcast, share it with a friend, and leave us a review. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. See ya.